everyone. Welcome to the Great Garage Pod with Coach Jason Pridmore, presented by Bike911.com. That's Alex Asante, Bike911.com. It's a website. You go there. You get some legal stuff. You need some help. You got a contract. Blah, blah, blah. Been in an accident. Reach out to Alex Asante. He'll help you out. Jason Pridmore is here after a big weekend of moto. Crap. Hi, Jay. What's up, G-Dub? Uh, you know, just... Uh, just chilling. I mean, yeah. you know, counting down the days here. We got Man. a week, week till we leave for Daytona. I'm so pumped. A week from today. Unbelievable, yeah. man. Now, I'm not going to, huh, I don't want to spoil it, but. Uh, <laughs> you don't? Okay. Have you actually seen what the what they are calling? You know me, I don't give a shit about the weather, but have you seen what they're saying about the weather when we get down there yet? The only thing I saw was Friday's forecast, which is 50% chance of rain. That's all mm. I've seen. So it's like. 10 day out. Why? What are you looking at? Great. Well, I hope that's what it is. That's we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. It's, it's kind of the same up I mean, here in North Carolina, which is usually, it's pretty unusual, but between now and then they're calling for like thunderstorms every day. I'm like, what are, what are we in the middle of summer? Yeah. I'm just looking at it again right now. And it's saying that, um, Thursday, there's a 34% chance Friday. Well, Friday's now only a 24% chance and then a 60% chance on Saturday. Uva. Uh, and then doesn't get any better because Sundays says it's going to rain Sunday too. So I just hope it, I mean, that's the only thing that could spoil this whole thing is just the stupid weather. Like, um, I know they, uh, the 500 got postponed a day this year, didn't it? Two the days. Was it two days? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know they ran it on that Monday. So it was like, anyways, yeah, that's a bummer. And I'm just hoping that it all goes away. Yeah, I hope it all goes away. And I don't know if we race in the rain. Because if it's Moto America, we don't race in the rain. But again, this is the Daytona 200. Moto America runs it. But that doesn't mean that it's 100% Moto America rules. So I don't know. Hmm. And I do remember them trying to run a race there. Remember they had that consolation race where guys were trying to race their way into the 200 and Mm-hmm. We had that incident on the banking and touched the white paint. And I can't remember the young man's name, but uh, yeah, it's look racing in the rain at Daytona is no bueno. No bueno. Yeah. It's not good. So yeah. let's just hope the weather stays good because boy, I tell you, we're in for a great, a great week in Florida. If that's the case, we're going to go over the Daytona 200. The, the entry list is out, but we're going to talk in detail more about it. Uh, 68 riders are entered at this point. We don't expect many more, and it should be pretty exciting. But we'll talk more about it next week. This week, we're going to be talking about World Superbike because the season, the road race season, kicked off in Phillip Island. And I would say that there was a very unexpected hmm. unexpected uh, race winner and unexpected rider leading this championship after three races, one race weekend. And then Supercross was in Texas, yeah? Right, it was it was Ar- Arlington, yeah, Arlington, AT and T Stadium. We're gonna talk about Supercross, talk about Supercross fantasy, but right now, why don't we go ahead? Oh, and by the way, Steve English will be joining us later, so he's he he's be. already back in Europe after his you know Australian trip, and so we're gonna get some inside scoop in a little bit. But as for right now, let's go ahead and get to our news presented by Rye. Okay. Hey, JP, did you know that avoiding impact energy intrusion by sliding or glancing off surfaces and obstacles is a key role of the helmet shell, requiring a strong, smooth shell? For this purpose, Arai handcrafts each shell to be as strong and light as possible with a high fiber-to-resin ratio of proprietary super fiber 
and Z resin. Now, at your age, you need probably need to eat super fiber, Jay, just to get mm. that poop flowing. However, this process leaves a rough surface and requires many steps to prepare it for beautifully smooth finish without adding any extra weight. Even though invisible, these details improve protection. That's Arai's obsession. Check out AraiAmericas.com. Pick what you like. Head down to your local dealer for fitment and grab yourself a new lid while you're there. AraiAmericas.com. All right, Jay. I want to read you a press release that just came out about Moto America Live Plus. Mm -hmm. I know that it's been around a while. People have enjoyed it, but there have been some issues in the past with, you know, people getting, you know, like, uh, I don't know. It's glitchy. It's glitchy. All right. Good, good, good point. But I've known that this is coming for quite a while and they're, they finally sent out the press release and I'm going to read you a bit of it. Okay. Yeah. So basically what's happening is, is that Moto America Live Plus has now switched services. And the best way I can describe it to you is if you live in an analog world and you go to a digital world, that's how much of an improvement this is going to be. So there, it's going to have an all new look. You don't have to download a new app, Jay. Eventually, I don't, I'm, I don't think iOS is exactly ready today, but the rest of the platforms are ready for, for the new Moto America Live Plus. iOS should be coming out. So it's like if you have the app, at one time, you're just going to get an app update and it'll change to all this stuff. Okay. So let's talk about um, the features of the new Moto America Live Plus. Uh, in the press release, it's like select new features include DVR functionality that allows users to rewind and pause both, <clears throat> excuse me, live events and video on demand, enhance search functionality so consumers can easily find more of what they want to watch, additional personalized for subscribers, including continue watching function that means that viewers never lose their spot in a video and there's also a new my watch list that allows users to save videos for playback later so the moto the mobile experience for moto america live plus is greatly improved with newly rebuilt app for the mobile and the connect tv stuff you know it's available on like um, on all your apps on roku as well as the website um the content itself is going to be better than ever yada 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 uh, their fully supported hub, including uh, <clears throat> self-serve option, AI-powered chatbots for faster response, dedicated human stuff. Our boy says, quote, we've come a long way since the inception of Moto America Live Plus in 2019. Moto America COO Chuck Ackland says, quote, over the years, we've listened to our customers, incorporating their feedback and insight to help us enhance the viewing experience. The upgraded Moto America Live Plus platform gives us flexibility to continue to evolve over time, bringing time together, live timing, betting, news, merchandise, and access to 24 hours of all motorsports network called Motorsports One. This is a testament to our commitment to evolve and adapt, ensuring that our fans have the best viewing experience for Moto America Racing. We're generally excited about improvements and so on. So yeah, Jay, let me read that again, because I know that one of those words really, really piqued your interest here. <laughs> live, the app will have integrated mm. live timing. Yeah. News, merchandise, access to 24-hour all sports. I, I still yeah. haven't heard it yet. I'm still waiting betting, for that word. And it will ah, have betting involved betting. in it as well. Mm. Now, Jay, the good news is that that this is launching, okay? We will get some codes to give away here to the new Moto America Live Plus. So yeah, perfect. Yeah, the codes are available good. now, but there's one little hiccup like with, with getting a free code. And Chuck basically said, like, look, let me just take care of that one little issue with the codes and then I'll give Get you guys some us. stuff to start giving Perfect. away. Yeah, great. 
So you get all that stuff. You know, you get the practices, the qualifying's when we turn it on. Sometimes it's turn on at nine o'clock in the morning, ten o'clock, whatever it is. But the thing I like, one of the things I like about it, Jay, is like if you're a like you, if you're a stock thousand fan, you love stock thousand. You don't want to miss stock thousand. You can set that as a favorite, right? Yeah. So like then it'll it'll pull up first. Or if you're a you know a, a Steel Commander Superbike you know fan or whatever Twins it is, Cup, whatever it is we got, yeah, yeah. So anyway, your thoughts on that? I think it's great, and I think it's it's something that's needed to happen. I know that, um, you know, it's it's funny because Greg and I are just commentators, but we got the Moto America logo on our shirt. So, yeah, I've had a number of people, <laughs> customer service department, up, yeah, gonna help you. People, people run up to me and ask me about um, a spacer on a rear wheel of a Ninja Four, and I'm like, I don't know if that's legal or not. I have no clue. Um, and that's the same thing with the it's the same thing with TV stuff. It's like we do the TV stuff, the Live Plus stuff. Um, when, um, you know, I'll be walking around the paddock and I'll get a message from somebody saying, Hey, this just went down or this isn't where, and I'm, I don't, you know, that's not really my, my thing. So the fact that they've made a, a step up in the live plus is great because it's going to go worldwide. And I tell you, Greg, having all these different platforms in front of you to be able to, to actually watch Moto America, it's going worldwide. Once the Daytona 200 hits, that's again, another reason why I just hope the weather holds out because, this race has the potential to really go widespread even more than, than most because of the international influence we're going to have here as far as riders and teams coming over from uh, Europe. Um, and so we really need this. We really need this platform to work great so that people can tune in and not miss anything. Not only that, when we talk about it next week, we have a proper tire battle going on too, which is mm-hmm. exciting, which is what we don't normally get in any of our uh, premier series around the world. Correct. So that that's quite good. Correct. Uh, let's see, Jay. Let's talk about. Um, let's go to MotoGP and talk about Little Silly Season because Crash.net posted something that I thought was very interesting, and it's basically contracts that are ending at the end of 2024. And we, I mean, there was already news today that um, uh, who's going to Pramac already? Aldegar. Aldegar going to Pramac, right? So yeah. okay, there's a spot taken up. But but I want to le- read you a list of names that basically says their contract ends in, in 2024. Well, it'd be easier for you to list the four names that aren't. That aren't, yeah. Yeah, there's so three, just like... Three names, really. Them, there's right? only three. It's... There's three. So Luca Marini's contract goes to 2025. Brad Binder's goes to the end of 2026. And Johan Zarco goes to the end of 2025. Everybody else. Quadraro, Rins, Bagnaya, <laughs> Bashnini, even Acosta, Fernandez, Miguel, uh, Oliveira, all those riders, dude. And, you know, even Jorge, right? Martin. Yeah. End of 2024. So you only have three riders that have spots. And if the, if the Pramac thing is correct, right. If the, so that means somebody's out over there, whether it's Martin or Morbidelli. Those are just kind of like, uh, it's like Pramac is interested in Aldegar, right? I mean, that's kind of what it is, I think. And you know, the other thing too, in that article, cause I, I looked at it, uh, once I saw it on our rundown, the other interesting part is that there's three teams, GW, that don't have manufacturer signings just yet. One of those being VR46, mm-hmm. Pramac as well, and LCR. So you have those three teams that don't have a manufacturer contract in place at this moment. So um, I can't imagine them changing. I mean, could LCR go to KTM or or maybe, you know, Yamaha? Aprilia or Yamaha? I, I You know, who knows? Uh, VR 46 talks in that same article that you're talking about, about Rossi is a Yamaha ambassador still, but 
would it be a good move for his team to jump on Yamaha machinery at this stage when they're on Ducatis and showing that they can win? So, I mean, what it is going to be interesting. And the other thing too, do you remember a few years ago when you and I were talking um, on the podcast about, uh, it was the Petrucci thing, I think, where they hired Petrucci and then like the second round in, they had already replaced him for the following year or something like that. And we yeah, were wasn't like, that the COVID year? It was like right around that. It might have been. It was something weird where it's like. Yeah, it was like after race one, they after, replaced him in race two. They announced that like. Like somebody else was coming in or maybe it was Miller coming in or I can't remember what it was. But then there was a couple riders in that spot where it was like they've already been announced as being sacked. And they're three races into an 18 race series, you know, and you go. Like that just seemed a little absurd to us. And I and it'll be interesting to see if it's gonna take that same effect. What if this Aldegar kid comes out right away and wins um the first couple rounds and a guy like Morbidelli struggling with with a with a possible concussion syndrome that he might have carried over? Or Martin has already expressed that he wants to ride for the factory team. And if he doesn't get there, I that guy's going to go somewhere else. He's going to, you know, he wants to ride for a factory team and get paid factory money. So that's going to be, uh, all of it's very intriguing. And, and boy, there's so much shakeup there with three teams and what, like 20 riders out of contract. Let me ask you about Jorge Martin since we're talking about him. Mm-hmm. If you're a team owner, do you hire him to win you championship or championships? Or do you hire him just to race, win races? Uh, he, he'll develop into a championship guy. I mean, he already took it to the last race last year. Um, but be it a couple of mistakes, I mean, he could have easily won the championship last year. Uh, the, the race in India is the one that strikes out to me where he was leading, pulling away, tosses it down the road. Um, decision-making for him is going to be the key. I think that he's got a really big chip on his shoulder. Like he now is going to have to deal with the Marquez effect of, you know, is he really going to watch Marquez roll in, win the championship and take his factory seat if that was ever the case, which I don't think ever will be. I think, I think that Marquez will, you know, probably he'd end up staying where he is, I think. Um, But like, there's so many different scenarios there, but Jorge Martin is more than capable of winning a championship. I think he's got to be able to accept some of those thirds or fourths or fifths instead of pushing on and trying and trying to win them. If it's just not quite in the cards, take those points and move forward, right? I mean, Craig, it's such a grueling long season for those guys. Like, I think they're at 20 races. 20, 21. 21, and, I think and the they Kazakhstan, might go to 20. And the Kazakhstan one's kind of in the air, right? So, yeah. but I mean, you got to think about it. They do, they do, you know, they do the sprint race on Saturday and then the the GP on Sunday. It's a lot of racing. 40 and to 42 races this year. You've, you have really got to finish races you've got to stay in the points you know? well that's kind of my point like i you know peco did what peco does in the middle of the season he had some problems he fell off he kind of let everyone back in and then martin was let back in i'm not sold that jorge martin's a championship guy as he is just a race winning guy well based on yeah you know, i if you go back and look at the points from the last couple of years i'm just not sold on it yet i you know if peco ends up figuring his stuff out which History will tell you he hasn't yet. Even though he won the championship, he still gives points back to people, whether it's the beginning of the year or the middle of the season. He definitely comes on stronger. 
But and he looks hungry this year. I mean, with the testing, early testing that MotoGP's done, mm-hmm. Pecco's been quickest, and it's well. His comments know, too, I think, were everything about the 2024 is better across the board. Yeah, across the board, which is a you know that's a big knock for all the other manufacturers. The Ducati's found a way to get even better. Look, you can't you can't rule a guy like Martin out of a championship just because of his sheer speed. He's there every weekend. It's just going to be whether he can minimize those mistakes, right? That's got to be the thing. You've got to minimize these mistakes. When you have fields like you have in MotoGP and when you have a field like you have in World Superbike this year, Greg, you have got to finish races. You can't it look, every racer wants to win every race. I get that. But there are times when you have to go, hey, that guy right now is just just a little bit better. And I got to take this second or I got to take this third or fourth, whatever it is, and move forward. What would you uh, do? Because like, if you're Jorge Martin, you're his management team, right? Yeah. I'm thinking to myself, there's two scenarios here. There is, he's good enough right now to get on another factory bike. Mm-hmm. What factory bike might that be? I don't know. But, or does Ducati play the games that they've played before? which is who's going to get the factory ride, which goes really deep into the season, which then adds a tremendous amount of pressure where Jorge Martin, after the third or fourth, or let's just say fifth race of the season, he signs a contract with another factory team, as opposed to, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going for the big red bike. And now I'm under all this pressure. Now I'm going to start making mistakes. You kind of understand like the difference of, of pressure of what 2024 brings. I think, in a way, if he signs a contract with, let's just say he goes to Aprilia, right, to be the factory Aprilia rider. I think that would be a great choice for him I, too, by the way. I agree. Yeah. But then isn't the the pressure of having to be the number one rider and knock Bastianini off the seat or whatever it is gets reduced a little bit, and now he's kind of free just to go race and win the number one plate? Or do you, get, do you understand kind of what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see, I can see it being an Aprilia or a Honda thing coming up for him. That's what I think. I think Mir wanted out a Honda this year. There's no big steps made. Mir's going to be looking very actively to get on something else. He is a world champion, so he's got that in his pocket that he's going to be able to flash in front of people. And I don't, I, I honestly, I don't, I think if I would have been Honda, I probably would have gone after Martin this year. They're in the process of developing a new bike. And you know that guy gives every last speck of energy he has every time he rides. Um, That might have been something that he didn't want anyways. But I think that Honda would have benefited more having a guy like Martin than Marini. That's just my opinion. And I also think that when it comes time to, if both those Aprilia riders are indeed out of contract, like we know they are, I'm sure Aprilia's got to go after a guy like Martin. I don't know why they wouldn't. So, but again, Greg, we got a long way and a long season ahead of us for those guys. And who's going to be the next one that's going to step up? I mean, this DiGiantonio kid is legit. He's all of a sudden, he's just become completely legit the last half of last year. And he's putting himself in that shop window for a main seat if it comes up somewhere else as, as well. So there's a number of guys that are going to be, uh, are going to be looking and it's going to be really fun to watch how the manufacturer stuff shakes itself out. I'd be shocked to, to, to have Valentino step up and say, I'm a Yamaha rider. It's my team. Let's go to Yamaha's if they're not mm-hmm. competitive. I don't see Valentino being that guy. I think he no. wants to put the riders that are in his Academy or associated with it or whatever in the best possible position. Because if you're, if, if Valentino's doing this as a business, 
you want to do the best thing you can for to get the most amount of sponsor dollars you can get to put in the bank, right? And it's not necessarily for him. It's for, you know, his, for Uchio and like all the people that are associated with the team. So, you know, Rossi's got plenty of money. I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Hasn't hurt the relationship with Yamaha to this point. I don't really well, see the, you, you, it making you think, Yeah, and you got to think that Rossi being our, you know, the guy he was and always wanting to try to put himself in a position to win championships and win races, he knows the Yamaha's not there. He doesn't want to do that to his riders, you know? I mean, the team morale, it's its such a uh, downer when that stuff happens that way. So did you see they're testing Moto2 and Moto3 real quick? I know it's not in here in your news item, but did you see where Joe was the quickest today um, in the final session at the Moto2 test in Jerez? Now, he was still not the quickest. Kinnett was I got him by like a tenth or something for the overall fastest lap of the day. But Joe's on pace over there. I'm just looking at the uh, free practice three. Um, Joe led Dixon and Kinnett top three with Aldegar, Agura, and Garcia, um, the next three. And then rounding out the top 10 were Albert Arenas, uh, Manuel Gonzalez, who switched teams to the Grassini Moto2 team, Arbelino on the Mark, El, uh, Mark VDS team, and Marcos Ramirez on the other OnlyFans American racing team. So, um, you know, maybe that team's finally going to make this big jump. Joe's been hauling ass out at Chuckwalla when we've seen him. He looks hungry and ready to go. So uh, good to see him leading that that free practice three today in Jerez. Good job, Joe. Keep it going. Yeah. yeah. Well, we might as well get to racing, Jay. So let's. we should just bring in Steve English and get to work about uh, talking about World Superbike. What do you think? Let's do it. Let's bring him in. All right. So he's here. He's joining us. Please welcome Steve English all the way from... I don't know. Where do you live? Canada from via via Australia? <laughs> via Australia. I think via Australia is probably the most important thing. You could call me pretty much anything at this stage, and I'm just going to agree with you. The jet lag's kicked in, and uh, yeah, it's just been a rough a rough day getting back to Ireland. How long does it take you? Um, it's about thirty hours travel time to get home. Wow! And then, like, we left it. Oh, it was ten o'clock at night, so you've you know, three days basically without any sleep or two and a half days without any sleep. So you're about ready for it whenever you get home. You fly first class though, right? I mean, it's World Superbike. Yeah, first first class at the back of the plane, you know, <laughs> as long as you as long as you've got like the aisle seat, it's not too bad. But I had middle seats on all four legs of my trip this year. Oh, so God, that was a really? tell you what, I sat down on my first flight and the guy beside me, he must have been 25, 26 stone. And oh. you're just sitting there thinking, 15 hours with this guy. And it was oh just God. as bad as I expected it to be. Thank thank God. I would have been, I would have felt really bad if it had ended up being a very pleasant flight. But instead, no, it was just awful. <laughs> That's brutal. Wow. That man. is brutal. That is brutal. Can't well, imagine doing that at Jason's age. Yeah, man, what's good? Rough. Stevie, you got a series on your hands this year. You're going to have some fun calling some of these races, huh? I mean, Australia, if anything's like, if that's what we've got to start with, uh, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, well, I know for, for me and you, Jay, anytime we've been talking about it, you've been excited for Moto America Superbikes for the yeah. same reason we've been excited about World Superbikes. And it's just because, and I said it a few times on the broadcast over the weekend, this year in World SBK, it's one of those questions of why not him? Why can't one rider win races? Why can't he be a podium man? Why can't he be a title contender? And there's so many riders that you look at and you think, actually, he's got a real chance this year. 
Well, I think not only that, there's that you're, I think you're going to get multiple race winners, but I think now, I, I think if you just said at the beginning of the year, which manufacturers least likely to win, I think that a lot of people would have said Kawasaki and that manufacturer's now won, not one, but two races. And you got to think that Yamaha's going to win. You, you know that Ducati's going to win. And with Top Rack on the BMW, I look at it like we really have the ability to see four manufacturers win and have multiple riders standing on top of the podium. Yeah, well, for this week, we really should have seen Yamaha win one race, Ducati win another, and Kawasaki another. So when you look at it, Locatelli, he could easily have had three podiums, could have won any of those races. Yeah, Bullock obviously won the open race of the year. Bautista could have won the last race of the weekend. Ian One probably had some of the best pace of anyone at different times during the weekend. Yamaha, obviously, Ray is the big news headline for the weekend. But Locke looked great. Gardner looked good. Dummy qualified in the second row of the grid again. So he had good pace or good one lap speed anyway. BMW, Top Rack obviously takes all the headlines because he should have had, let's say, three top five finishes this week, mm. which would have been a massive step forward for BMW. But it was actually Vandermark for me that was the big pleasant surprise for BMW because even though he qualified on the sixth row of the grid, he came through in both the feature length races to be inside the top 10 and looked pretty competitive in them. I think that's a good indication that BMW has made a big step forward because obviously with Top Rack, we expect that he's going to be able to contend and we expect that he's going to be able to challenge. But to see the other BMW riders up inside the top 10, I thought was a big step. Gerloff made a massive step before race one. And that, again, shows that they're just getting more and more out of that package. Let's go ahead and get everybody caught up to speed on terms of results, just so that you know what we're talking about in case you haven't seen him. So we have race number one, and it was Bulaga making his debut on the Aruba.it Racing Ducati with the win over Locatelli. Iannone was third in his comeback from racing after a four-year suspension. Uh, Lowe's, Alex Lowe's, because there's two of them now, uh, in fourth, Top Rack in fifth, Agurta, Vandemark in seventh, Petrucci, Gerloff in ninth, and Vierge. Then we get into the Super Pole race, and it was Alex Lowe's who wins by 1.1 seconds in what I would deem as a very convincing win, although a shorter, you know, 10-lap race. Locatelli in second, Razgatlioglu, Bautista, first time we've heard from him, and then Bulaga was back in P5. Gardner was in the mix as well. And then Dami, Agurta was there. Sam Lowe's in eighth, Rinaldi, and Johnny Ray in 10th. In our second feature race, it was Alex Lowe's holding off. Now, this is key. Holding off Bautista to the line by 48 thousandths of a second for his second win of the day. Petrucci ends up third. Iannone fourth. Bulaga in fifth. Rinaldi, Sam Lowe's in seventh. Gerloff, Vandemark. Pretty impressive stuff, Steve, when you consider. I mean, it's. It's Phillip Island. It's a unique racetrack, right? I understand that. Even Alex Lowe said after the race, I'm not going to get overly excited. This is Phillip Island. It's a little different. We've been good here and stuff. But from your assessment of what you just saw and witnessed, did the rule changes across the board, meaning the crank changes, allowing you know stuff to be taken on or taken off on the other bikes and the weight difference for the Ducati, is it really going to make a difference this year or is this just a one-off event? Um. Phillip Island's always a one-off event. I think we'll go to Catalonia, and that's going to be a real test for everyone just because tire conservation becomes huge there. So Phillip Island, we had a brand-new track surface. Everyone was fast, and I think that was shown by probably in particular the Super Pole race. I think if you look at the point spread in the Super Pole race this year compared to last year, the time gap between first and ninth was halved. So 
that comes down to the fact that everyone had a lot of grip or at least had a lot of potential to be able to set fast times. The overall lap times were just so quick compared to anything we'd seen here before. Second and a half faster pretty much across the board. So whenever you're doing things like that, it's pretty clear that the track's playing a big role in letting everyone be more competitive or or at least faster. So I think it's probably Catalonia and in all likelihood, Assen before we really get a true picture of where we're at. But the other side of that coin as well is you compare what we saw this week to what we've seen the last two years in Phillip Island and 2019 as well with Bautista. Anytime it's been dry, he's been almost impossible to beat. This time he was, well, soundly beaten at different times over the weekend. He made a mistake in the opening race the weekend, had a crash. And then obviously the race two was one of the key ones. He just burned through his tire and really suffered from that. So you'd look at it and you think on paper, Kawasaki's way more competitive than anyone had a right to imagine them being. Yamaha with Locatelli in the mix, BMW making their progress. It looks like all the regs have worked really well. And maybe they have, but Phillip Island is always worth taking with a pinch of salt. But I do think that the championship, at least it lived up to the expectations we had going into round one. And that's the most important thing. So I think that when you start to look at it, if we were to take some key takeaways, I think that um, obviously you already mentioned it there. The, the, the fact that Top Rack's doing what he's doing on the BMW, the fact that Johnny, we'll talk about that in a minute on the Yamaha I think for Alex, um, there's been a lot of shakeup within the within the team. Obviously, Alex has moved from Marcel over to Piri Riva, the team that Johnny actually left. And um, you know, you and I speak a lot so much over the weekends. Um, you're so gracious with your time with me. We just we have laughs and all that stuff about things. But it's one of the things you even said in the telecast is for me watching Alex ride this weekend. Steve, he never looked on edge, even when he made the pass to on Batista in the last lap going up over Lukey Heights. He never looked um, unsettled. The bike always looked like it could go wherever he needed it to go. Um, he looked like he was riding well within himself. Like I never really saw him put a wheel wrong all weekend. And he had this, this feel of confidence about him. And you know Al better than any of us. Um, and, and it's like you said in the telecast, this is the effect that Piri Rebo has – on a rider. And um, I, I'd love for you to just talk about that a little bit because you've seen Al throughout the years from Pata signing with Cowie, winning right off the bat in 2020. And then he's been with Marcel for the last couple of years. This isn't a knock on Marcel, but what a change of environment can do to a rider, especially going to that winning combination of a Piri Reba on that side of the garage. What was your overall take just watching that unfold over the course of the weekend? I think one of the things that I took away from it is that the Reba versus Marcel dynamic has always been a big rivalry in the background of Kawasaki. If you think back to when it was Tom Sykes and Jonathan Ray, the two sides of the box just didn't work together and they didn't want to work together. They wanted to prove that I'm better than you are and it basically split the team in half. Now, that's fine when you've got the best bike on the grid, but whenever you're then chasing your tail because Ducati's brought out a new bike, you can't really have that dynamic. And that's where I thought mm-hmm. it was interesting over the last few years that we did see Ray and Lowe's working together an awful lot more, tailing each other in a Super Bowl lap or anything like that. So we saw that they started to work together, but everything from what I've been told about it was that that was a rider-based motivation rather than the team coming together and saying we have to work together. I think that Marcel's obviously 
a really clever engineer. But maybe what we saw in Phillip Island this year is that little bit of actual practical evidence about maybe it's not just engineering basis that all riders need. Obviously, some riders need a kick in the ass and some riders need a big cuddle. And some riders need a crew chief that understands how the bike works. And some riders need a crew chief that understands how the rider works. And I think that's, for me, the biggest takeaway from this week. Even if nothing else changes between now and the end of the season and the form we see from Kawasaki is what we've seen for the last two years, just to have one weekend like this shows the difference that a crew chief and the team around you can make. Because I think for Alex in particular, I think he needed to have it where he's been listened to he's the focal point and the crew are all a part of that so i think that that's probably reba's biggest strength has always been that he's able to bring in his mechanics he's able to bring in his electronics suspensions tire tech whatever it is and everyone has an equal say in trying to make that step for kawasaki they couldn't have come into philip island expecting anything like what happened but i also think that the changes that have happened there have probably really helped them a lot to push that project forward just to give the rider an awful lot more support. And I think that that's probably one thing that Alex needed. He needed to have that lead role and now he has that. So I think it's one of those situations that there's a few factors go into it, but I think the biggest thing is that confidence that the rider has. And when you look at, you know, you're dead right when you say it there, Jay, like the whole way through those races, he never looked like a rider about to make a mistake. And that was one of the things that I asked Reba about pre-season. I said, what are you going to do differently with Alex? And he said that they've gone through all the data, they've looked at everything, and they've understood why crashes have occurred at different times in the past. And one of the things that uh, Perra was really focusing on was corner entry to give him a lot more feedback, more confidence, and then make the next step. And in Phillip Island, we saw the difference that that approach has made at least up until this point in the season. And one of the things that we saw that with was the fact that he was able to think outside the box and bring himself off the bike in the middle of the races and think, where do I have the advantages? Where can I be a little bit stronger? And like at the end of the day, all of the the top riders in World Superbikes have been able to do that at different points in their career. Lowe's won a BSB championship when he was, what, 22, 21 years of age. So he's obviously got that ability to think about the big picture but I thought what he did in Philip Island was really interesting because speaking to him after the Super Bowl race he said it's nice to win but we've got another race he wasn't focused on the past he was thinking about race two when I was speaking to him after race two he said I could see that Bautista was struggling with the tire but I didn't want to make the move too early in case it meant that I burned through my tire as well so I had to wait until the last lap and then I had to pick the right moment to make the move he probably wanted to make it earlier than he did. But he also thought that if I left it later than the entry to Lukey Heights, if you go into turn 10, it's too easy to run in deep and leave it where the other rider can come back underneath you. We saw that time and again during the course of the races. He didn't yeah. want to leave it until the last corner because you don't want to have a run to the line with Bautista. So he kind of left it as late as he could and took Bautista by surprise. But Bautista by that stage, didn't have the grip. So Lowe's knew what he needed to do to come through. So to be able to take yourself off the bike in that moment and figure all that out while, at the end of the day, they were still lapping really fast at that stage, I think it was low 29s. 
So I think that shows a little bit more mental capacity than he probably showed at different times in the past. And that can come down to just that comfort you have within the crew and the support you're being given. Um, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about too is talking to Alex throughout the weekend um, was tire wear on the Cowie became a lot better. And one of the things that we discussed, even with you on the podcast last year, we would always talk about um, Top Rack, Johnny, um, Alec, all these guys burning up their tires and Batista's tires looking great at the end. And the reason for that was I felt because his bike was so superior down straights, he doesn't have to put the stress on the tire um, in turns because he realized he had some some uh, some extra HPs underneath him. The Kawasaki at Phillip Island, Steve, was fast. It was visible. You could see it. There were times when Ianoni and stuff would come out of the last corner right behind Al, wasn't able to kind of – they kind of get up alongside of him, but then Al was really strong into turn one and two, like you said, during the telecasts. Do you feel that the fact that the Cowie is now um, – it does have that little bit of extra speed. I feel like this could help with their tire issues moving forward because – I know he had done some long runs before they decided to shorten these races and his tires looked good even towards, you know, 15, 18 laps in. Um, he was still pretty confident that, hey, my tires are pretty good. He felt like that the fact that there were going to be pit stops actually hurt hurt them uh, as opposed to help them. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where if there hadn't been pit stops, I think he would have been pretty confident of a good result. But would he have won two races over the weekend? I think that would be a bigger challenge. When you look at the top speed, they've got an extra 500 revs. They've got the crankshaft. So they've got ways to be able to use those revs now. So the Kawa is is clearly stronger on a straight now than it has been for years. But the other thing as well, with Phillip Island, you've got a third gear corner, clicking onto fourth, onto the main straight. And then once you're into fifth and sixth gear, you've come across that crest of the hill and you're running downhill into turn one. So you're gaining a little bit of extra momentum as well. So that's helped to an extent as well, maybe find an extra couple of Ks an hour. But it's the same for everyone, so at least it's all relative. I do think Catalonia will show us an awful lot more about the strength of that engine and where it's at. It's it's really strange to have such a good weekend for so many riders, but probably leave Phillip Island with more questions than we had going into the weekend. And some of that comes down to the fact that Guys were more competitive, like Kawasaki, than we expected them to be. And then, you obviously, we saw Bautista struggle a lot compared to where he's been in the past. Now, yeah. I think one of the biggest problems for Bautista is the new track surface probably mitigated some of the advantages he's had in Phillip Island in the past. So he's always been able to get a lot of grip out of the Ducati around Phillip Island. But now everyone could get that grip. So we didn't get to see, that's, that's, I, yeah. I, I think, a true reflection of Bautista just yet. What about – so before we get on to the Johnny talk, because Kawasaki had a tremendous weekend, and congrats again to Alex uh, for, like, really a career weekend for him. And I think moving forward, his mentality is going to stay, like, let's get to the next race now, and Phillip Island's done. I want to talk about one guy that dominated testing throughout the year and came out and won his very first race, Nico Bulaga. Um, I remember sitting, talking to Chaz Davis last year at Portimao. We weren't sure – we knew Chaz said he's going to be incredibly fast. We weren't sure how he was going to be when he had to really link up against Top Rack and Batista and Johnny and all those guys. Like, how would he handle that pressure of dealing with them? And in race one, he just showed his dominance. He comes out and gets pole position and breaks a lap record by a lot. Um, wins the first race. But Steve, like, what do you attribute 
the Super Bowl race and even race two to as far as Bulaga wasn't really even a thought in those two races. And I was surprised because I thought he would like kind of move forward, but it looked like he got kind of bad starts, got boxed in, and then maybe got a little roughed up. Couldn't really tell, but that's kind of what it looked like. Yeah, and I think that's probably an accurate reflection on it. He made terrible starts for all four starts that we had. He lost ground from the pole. So we know that he's fast over a single lap, but there's still that question about his bar-to-bar racecraft because in race one, he hit the front, made his pit stops, had a perfect pit stop. I think he was six hundredths of a second above the pit intervention time. So you couldn't do a better pit stop than what he did and what Ducati did. And then he made good in and out laps. So he had that bit of a buffer. But on Sunday, he dropped down the field and speaking to the other riders that were racing with him, they said that until their grip level dropped, Bulaga didn't really lay his love on them. So I think it'll be interesting to see how he fares whenever he actually has a, a proper bar-to-bar battle with everyone if he's able to make that progress. Because that's one of the things that's probably the most difficult thing for any rookie to do. For Bulaga, if he hits the front... He's going to be strong, but maybe in the pack it's going to be a little bit different. But I thought it was interesting that we saw Budaga have a really good weekend. There's no two ways about it. Great weekend. We saw Iannone have a great weekend. First weekend back in four and a half years. Petrucci was up there as well. Sam Lowe's showed some flashes of potential. Rinaldi was up in P2 at one stage as well. So all of the Ducati riders did something at some stage over the weekend. So again, you're able to see that is still the bike to be on. But now it's just going to be a question of maximizing your weekends. If you've got a good bike underneath you, you have to capitalize on it. You have to come away with your podiums when the opportunities are there because other guys are going to get more and more competitive at different rounds, at uh, different times of the season. Yeah. Well, without question, um, for me, we got to talk about this. And the most poignant part of the weekend for me was when you and Alex are in the booth Alex Lowe's wins the race and Johnny Ray pulls up alongside of him in the Super Pole race struggling. And Johnny is by far on our podcast, as you know, and I think around most people, Johnny's one of our favorite guys, favorite people, greatest of all time as far as World Superbike goes. And you, it's so weird how the sport can um, – we forget that it's been three years now since he's won a championship – um, and, and it doesn't seem like it's been that long after he wins six of them, does it? But all of a sudden top rack wins and then beast Batista wins a couple. Um, and Johnny makes the switch. He makes a switch thinking that the Kawasaki truly isn't going to get any better. And they're at the end of their development on that bike. He didn't want to go through another year of what he's gone through the last couple of not feeling competitive and being up there. And comes into this race weekend, I think from the other tests, Steve, where it looked fairly promising. And he comes into Phillip Island and um, it, 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 you don't even, you just want to give the guy a hug. You know, you said some writers need a kick in the ass, some need a hug. Johnny probably needed a hug after this weekend. But I can't imagine the range of emotion that JR must have been going through seeing Alex with his old crew jumping on his old bike, essentially. Um, and really dominating the weekend. I mean, that was fast from first practice out through qualifying through races and Johnny just struggled. And in race two, to your point, you were saying that there was a jump made even that morning in Sunday morning warm up. You saw a change in him. He was there in the race, wasn't he? I mean, he was literally right on the tail end of that league group. We never got to see the crash. I don't know if you ever saw it, 
We never got to see it. Um, and I can't imagine, did you get to talk to Johnny at all? Like probably during the weekend or, or probably not at the end of the weekend, but during it, um, you had made some comments about seeing him in a press conference with his arms a little slump low and as low as you've ever seen him. Um, we can't forget this is only race one. This guy's a six-time champ with a great team around him. Um, he's going to bounce back. But what was your what was the feel there at the track and and in the paddock over, over that kind of thing? It was obviously a sense of surprise by what we had seen. The, the one thing I will say is coming into the weekend, uh, I'd said a few times that this won't be a great place for Johnny to make his Yamaha debut because the main reason for me was that Locatelli is so good here. Mm-hmm. Like if you think back to last year, Locke was able to match Top Rack. He was, he was better than Top Rack here in Phillip Island. So I think that Locke was always going to be good, but to see Johnny struggle as much as he did, that's like, there's no two ways about it. It was a massive shock. Yeah. Um, people try and be wise after the event and, oh, I saw this coming. We knew that this bike wouldn't suit him or this, that, and the other. He's a six times world champion that's won let's let's just call it 120 wins in more or less BK. He's a class act. And <laughs> yeah, whenever he's, when he's struggled like this, it's not a reflection on Johnny. It's a reflection on him, the package, and all those things coming together. But more to the point is the mindset that Johnny must have right now because you can say about the fact that he's looking across at Alex and Reba and his old crew having this success – Imagine paying the money to get out of the last year of your contract because you saw no future with Kawasaki and then suddenly they turn up and they do something like that. Like That's going to make it even harder for Johnny. And I think that's probably one of the things that when he looks at this weekend, it has to be there in the back of his mind. Now, obviously, his job is to focus on the future. His job is to focus on what he can do with Yamaha. But he's also human. And you can't not think about those things. And it was one of those things that everyone was thinking about in the paddock. Now, for Johnny's actual mindset through the weekend, he was lost. There's no no other way to describe it. When he came to talk to the media on Friday, he wouldn't explain and he wouldn't expand on what the problems were he was having. When he talked on Saturday, he talked about the big vibration from the rear, really suffering from that. But it was more the manner in which he was dealing with us because we're used to seeing... Uh, puffed out chest Johnny Ray six times world champion I'm the best rider in the world and I'll answer your questions now instead what we saw was a rider come in slump into his seat his hands underneath the table between his knees his shoulders rounded his head down and he was doing his best to answer every question but he just he wasn't Jonathan Ray he was just another rider another rider struggling and he even said I don't know why you guys want to talk to me. I fin- uh, like uh, You don't talk to people that don't score points. But you do whenever they're Johnny Ray having a nightmare like that. And, and Yamaha are aware of the fact that the story isn't that Johnny struggled. The story is that switching to the Yamaha, he couldn't make it work. And now they need to figure out how to make it work. Now, I will say on Sunday, he did make a step forward. He was much more aggressive in race two than he had been at any stage the rest of the weekend. He obviously had top rack blow up in front of him, picked off a few spots, was up into P4 before the crash. So at least there was some shoots of positivity. But the other side for Johnny was that once there was that positivity, he got thrown off to the moon. So 
he needs to use the Catalan test to really rebuild that confidence. I think that when you look at it too, is that it's funny because when when the green paint thing happened with Johnny and Toprak at Magnicor a couple of years ago, and Johnny took a bashing about that, I I went to uh, I met you guys uh, in Jerez and Portimount that that year, and I couldn't believe that you know people that don't know Johnny or don't know these riders or sports athletes in general, they don't realize that like if you look at a, a, a top quarterback or a top soccer player in the world, when they get bashed online, it affects some of them different. Some of them can sit there and go like, I don't give a shit what people think. Some of them are like, man, that really hurt my feelings and this and that. Johnny fell into the second category for me. Like I couldn't believe the vulnerability he showed talking with me about like how many, like how it affected him that people like just hated him um, for that deal. And, and so when I think about this weekend, the odds of Johnny Ray going to Phillip Island and not scoring a single point, what would those odds have been at the beginning of the weekend? I mean, the, the odds would have been astronomical. And I think that this isn't a reflection on Johnny or Yamaha. This is a reflection on they just got to figure out what that last little bit missing piece is going to be. Because there's not really another track that we go to or that you guys go to that's like Phillip Island. Phillip Island's fast, flowy. People can stay in lead groups at Phillip Island because of what it is. It's a very much similar to like a Road America for us here in America, where you could be a second off and stay in that lead group. I feel that Johnny was having to push maybe a little bit harder to stay where he was in that race too um, than he would have maybe normally. Um, but I but I think that he'll bounce back fine from this. Yeah, I, I'm sure he will. I think that Aston's probably the key one because that'll be a track that will suit him and the Yamaha a bit more than Phillip Island in Catalonia. But I think if you were to listen to Johnny whenever he was explaining the problems, he was having a big problem with rear vibration. So I went down and I talked to some of the Yamaha engineers and I asked them, were the other riders having the same problem? And to an extent, Locke, Gardner and Agatha were having the same problem but they could ride around it because of their style. So obviously for those riders, when you stand trackside, like you can hear it, that they're rolling, rolling through the corners with less gas. So for Johnny, he's more upright on the bike. He's got more weight on the rear and he's carrying more throttle. So that's obviously going to exaggerate the problem that he's having in tracks like Phillip Island. But we'll go to point and squirt tracks and Johnny's going to be fantastic because mm. they'll suit that riding style. Phillip Island, even though he's won so many races there, it was never a track where it came easy to Johnny to be super fast. We've seen crashes from there, whether it's on the Honda or the Kawasaki. We've seen tough weekends from there as well. So I think it's one of those things that if he could have had the most imperfect storm imaginable, it would have been exactly what we had. A high grip track at Phillip Island where everyone else was feeling really good. A switch to the Yamaha and then his teammate looking class. The other Yamaha riders really fast. And then you're chasing your tail a little bit. Because even when you look at it in the Super Bowl session, you're eight, nine tenths down. But, you know, that's not really that much whenever you break it down corner by corner, you're giving up half a tenth. Yeah. So for Johnny, he's not a million miles off. But in his mind, he might as well be a million miles off. Yeah. And that's where for Andrew Pitt and his crew, they need to rebuild Johnny. They need to get him a little bit closer to it. The other thing as well was race one, they had a problem with the pit stops. So that cost him 20 seconds and relegates the outside the points as well. So there's a lot of factors worked against Johnny, that's I think, right. this week. 
Well, the fact that you said what you just said too, in the sense that when you think about Andrew Pitt, one of one of my favorite people in the world, he's just a great guy. But Locatelli has had Andrew Pitt for the last couple of years. When Johnny signs with Yamaha, he gets reunited with with Pitty because those guys kind of came through the paddock together in World Supersport. Pitty being a World Supersport champion himself, so a, tr- a tremendous rider. More accolades than a Pire Reba. Reba raced as well in World Supersport and so on. So we've seen these riders turn to crew chiefs and become very, very good at uh, communication with their riders. So I think for Johnny going to Pata and having Pity on board with him looked like a perfect marriage. Locatelli gets, and you know, the, what's the gentleman's name that's the crew chief now? for Tom O'Kane. Yeah. And Tom came from back in the rainy days. Uh, I talked to Chuck Asklin about him. He was part of um, developing the data acquisition for the YZR 500s back when Wayne was riding. So he's got a ton of experience. He moves right over into Locatelli's side of the garage. And next thing you know, Locatelli looks like magic there as well. You said he was also capable of running a a harder front tire than the other guys, uh, than the other Yamaha riders as well. So he was making that front tire work. But again, Locatelli, a big spike in confidence with a new crew chief. And a lot of rebuilding on Johnny's side. Now we'll go real quick to Top Rack and the BMW. You mentioned VDM. Um, go ahead, Stevie. Just just one small thing about Locker as well. Yeah. I think there was a motivation from Locker's side as well to make a change of crew chief. And a little bit like what I was saying about the Kawasaki dynamic, sometimes for a rider to come in, they need someone like Andrew Pitt that's been there, done that, knows what it feels like to be on the bike. And then as they gain more and more experience, they then might need someone that's able to technically challenge them a little bit as well. So that's where maybe for Locatelli, having to change a crew chief could really help. Because when you come in and you've spent three years with someone, it's very different to change the dynamic within the box. You can't suddenly say, I need you to be you know, focusing more on the technical side than on me. Because the emphasis for most ex-riders when they become crew chiefs is, I know what it feels like on the bike. Let's work on this, that, and the other. Whereas maybe for Locatelli now, having more of an engineering-based crew chief, it might actually be helping him just to make that next step for him because he doesn't need a big step. He just needs a small step. And I think that's another one of those ones that's an interesting dynamic shift. And at the end of the day for Locke, he met the expectations this weekend because I think coming into Phillip Island, everyone thought he'll be a podium man. He could win a race. So he's met that expectation. Now for him, it's what happens at round two, round three, round four. Can he make more of a step compared to where he was last year at those tracks? I feel like, yeah. Sorry, Stevie. I feel like like the transition for Alex to go from the one seat with Marcel over to Pire, I think Al, the way I know him, he went over to that side of the garage and went like, hey, I'm here. Show me what you guys have been doing. Like, help me get to that level where you took Johnny to. And I feel like that's where he's at where I think when Johnny goes to Pata, it's all the relationships are new. You know, I mean, Pire knew Alex. I mean, they, they're they eating lunch in the hospitality together. Even when he was working for Johnny Ray, Pire knew Al. They spoke. They played golf a little bit. They knew each other. Um, but for Johnny, everything's new over there. Everything is new. And, and sometimes that is going to take uh, some time. So real quickly, like, we talk about Top Rack, and I think overall, when you looked at Top Rack, he looked fairly happy with his weekend overall. I know the motor blowing up in the in the second race there was was a bit of a shame um, for him. Um, I love the bit where he actually paused with Bautista when they were swapping seats at the press conference, and he said, "This is the first time I've ever passed you in a straightaway." 
And um, it, for me, as a writer, you could say that with a smile on his face. I, I looked at it like he was giving him a little poke in the in the guts with like, hey, you're not going to just walk away from us this year. Like we're our bikes are are closer. You know, I still don't think that they have the breaking down on the BMW the way he wants yet. That said, Phillip Island isn't a track that has a, a lot of heavy braking or, or requires that. But I thought that the steps that the BMW made in his progression throughout the weekend was pretty good. I did feel that he had to – I did feel like when he overrode the Yamaha, it looked, it looked more uh, comfortable. When he was overriding the Yamaha or the BMW, you could really tell midway through these races when the tires were going off, he couldn't override the BMW the way he did the Yamaha. So that's going to be something that's going to be – that I'm going to be keen to see once they get to Catalonia. Overall, BMW, happy with the weekend or 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 frowning upon? I mean, they had one rider that was up there all weekend, and I know you said BDM did okay, but really it didn't look like a great weekend for them. Well, I think if you look at it right, Toprak qualifies in the middle of the second row. He finished fourth on the road in race one, obviously had his penalty for pit lane infringement. He finishes on the podium in the Super Bowl race. He was running up at the front in race two probably ends up finishing let's say another top five so top rack across the whole weekend is fifth yep. so that's a really good weekend when you look at Vandermark, the crash in super pole relegates him down to the sixth row of the grid in both feature length races he finished seventh and ninth so top 10 the super pole race i think he was he was nowhere but yeah in the other two races he's up there inside the top 10 girl off at two top 10s as well in the feature length races and then again in the super pole race he was struggling so I think if you look at it, the, in the big races for the weekend, BMW had three bikes inside the top 10. Mm-hmm. That's a super successful weekend for BMW compared to where they've been in the past. Yeah, I so suppose, yeah. Top Rack takes the plaudits, and rightly so, but I think BMW have made a lot of progress with that bike as well. And high grip track in Phillip Island, so it helped them a lot. So Catalonia is, again, another, another, another time where we get to see where their progress is. If BMW come away with top 10 finishes for all of their riders, because Scott Redding should make a step as well. He he was really struggling this weekend after a crash in in uh, Saturday that morning. A, that was a big one, too. Big, big crash. And, and the reason that we had so many big crashes was that this was a rare time where the track had more grip than the tires. Usually you see the riders sliding because the tire is, is giving them that confidence. Here, it was the track giving the riders confidence until suddenly there was no more grip from the track and the tires couldn't react in time. The electronics couldn't react, react in time. And that's why we saw so many big crashes. Lekwona had a big crash in the test that ruled him out for the weekend. Johnny obviously had his two big crashes. We had the high side for Reading on Saturday morning. In Supersport, we had a big crash for Wirtas in the Super Bowl session. We had, Bam, lots, had a big of, crash, lots of big incidents that were yeah. just unlike anywhere else we've seen. So this... As I said, all of the results from Phillip Island need to be taken with a pinch of salt. Right. But I think BMW have clearly made a big step forward. But BMW weren't that far off last year as well. If you think back to when I was on with you at the end of last year, I think we talked about Gareth Gerloff. Gerloff turned himself into a top seven regular by the end yep. of the season. And that was where he was struggling to qualify. You know, he was third, fourth row of the grid. VDM at the start of the year was really strong, but again, isn't a good qualifier. Top Rack comes onto the bike and he has turned himself into a really good qualifier. So suddenly a third row of the grid slot becomes a second row of the grid. And then you're in the mix right from the get-go. And that means that you turn a top seven into a top five. And that's what we saw in Phillip Island. And that's kind of what I'd expect to see from BMW for most of the season. 
they're still going to have tough tracks. They're still going to have places where they're just not really able to get that bike to work as well as they need it to. But I think that they've made a big step and they're going to be there thereabouts because Heret, Portimao and Phillip Island are three tracks. We've seen the bike, we've seen Top Rack on and he's been quick in all of them. So that's a good step forward by BMW. I think that when you look at the Garrett Gerloff comment about him being a top seven rider, I want to bring the next two guys into play real quick. This will be maybe the last thing unless Greg's got anything um, because I'm sure Greg's got some stuff. But um, you look at the top seven riders, the, the thing I look at is this year they've got two other Ducatis that they have to deal with. And both guys I thought made a great impression this weekend. Who, I mean, you talked about him earlier, Andrea Iannone. What a tremendous comeback after four years being away and being off a motorcycle and jumping right on with that team. What a boost for that team as well. Was that the team that Odell was riding for last year? Yeah. Yeah. So what a huge boost for them to have a guy, you know, jump on that bike after four years off um, uh, and, and put the results in. And Sam Lowe's. I thought Sam, um, you know, that Mark VDS team comes over to World Superbike. I almost felt like when I was watching the race, I was thinking to myself, who is at the bigger disadvantage in the sense of when you look at Iannone and Sam, Sam's coming from a completely different type of motorcycle that he's been on for what, the last six years, seven years in world super sport, just a completely different type of bike. Moto2, Moto2, sorry, that's what I meant. Thanks. See, I just wanted to make sure you're still here, G-Dub. So he was in here. That's good. He was in Moto2 for the last six, seven years, completely different bike. And he jumps on a world super bike and you could almost tell that Sam didn't look quite as comfortable as he wanted. And he said to me multiple times, he said, it's just not quite my bike yet. But I thought I thought he did well. He was right on the, the lead pack for most of the weekend. But Iannone, I mean, I really thought that Iannone in race two, the way he carved through them at the beginning of that race before Wait, it got red flagged. You mean the way he carved through a seagull with his face? Yeah, no. I thought Iannone was going to maybe win that second race. I... But before the start of race one on Saturday, you text me, Steve, and I said, I don't know how Bulog is not going to smoke everybody because his qualifying lap, I was watching it. It looked like he was going to pull in the pits. I'm like, oh, he's, he's off his lap. And next thing you know, he goes 27-9. But Iannone, what a boost for him. And do you think that'll be sustainable? Because like you say, Phillip Island is a special place. Is that going to be sustainable? Is this what we're going to be expecting from this guy all year long, that he's going to be a potential top three or race winner every weekend? On his good weekends, yeah. And yeah. the good the good news for him is his good weekends are going to be Phillip Island, Catalonia, Assen, Misano. There's four tracks that we know that he's good at from his Grand Prix career, tracks that he knows from his Grand Prix career. So he's going to be fast for the first four rounds. And then that gives you the confidence before going to places like Donington. I think he wrote, he raced there on a one two five, never on anything else. And Most is just going to be a step into the unknown for him. But Petrucci was able to jump into the bike at Moss last year and put it on the podium as well. So maybe Iannone is going to be able to do something similar. I think that Iannone was such a pleasant surprise in so many different ways at the weekend, to be honest, because he obviously had a good qualifying lap. I think he had a, a toe on his qualifying lap and he was able to put it on the front row of the grid. But toe or not, it was just a really good lap. Yeah. From that yeah. point on, he jumped into the lead off the start. He was really good off the line as well, you have to say. But it was how comfortable he was on the bike right away to be able to lead races. When people came past him, he was able to fight back. I, I think he probably would have won the Super Bowl race, or at the very least, been in contention all the way through it against Lowe's. 
And then from the front row of the grid for race two, he's in contention for that as well. As it was, he ended up finishing fourth in race two, and that was from, I think, 10th on the grid or something like that. So mm, that shows right. his raw potential. But I thought probably the biggest thing for me was Ian One was just impossible to deal with whenever he was in MotoGP. For three years, every time I had, you know, you'd go down to do the end of day debriefs with him, you'd have to tell him who you were and who you wrote for and all this kind of stuff. He was just needlessly awkward for journalists to deal with. He'd give you one word answers, especially when he was on the Suzuki. He'd give you one word answers. It was almost like he was under contract not to talk to the media. Yeah. And all these things just, I remember whenever he signed, I was thinking, it's going to be good for the championship. We're going to have Ian O'Neill. Let's see how he does. But he turned up and you saw him in Park Fermi, that huge, ridiculous smile with his new teeth. And you're yep. just looking at him yep. thinking, my God, <laughs> he, he, he just wants to be here. And then yeah. he sat there and he talked to us on Saturday for 15 minutes in the media center. And every answer was just about how happy he was to be riding again. And I asked him what it felt like when the mechanics leave the grid and it's just you sitting on your bike waiting to start the warm-up lap. And you both know what that feels like. But Ian O'Neill for four years didn't have that feeling. And he said that he's a great family. He's got great friends, his girlfriend. All these things are really good. But the one thing that he loves doing was taken away from him. And to sit on the grid, he got really emotional before the first race of the weekend. And then he was able to bring that all in, into check and get himself ready to go racing. And mm. once the lights went out, he immediately looked like Ian O'Neill from four or five years ago. He was just aggressive. He was making moves. He showed great racecraft. And I think it's always easy to forget that he's the guy that Ducati wanted to lead their MotoGP project. Davi was a backup prize. He was a booby prize that ended up being unbelievably successful for Ducati, challenging for world championships. But Ducati, before Argentina and the crash, wanted it to be Ian O'Neill that was going to lead their factory in MotoGP. So he's got that talent. He's wasted years of his life, obviously with the doping ban, but his focus wasn't on racing. His focus was on being a superstar. And now I think that having had all of that taken away from him, having all the fame and the spotlight, Philip Island, it might only be one round where he, he's like that. And by the time we get back to Europe, he might be fixated again on just riding and winning and just getting back to being the Ian O'Neill of old. But for this one weekend, he was raw and he was honest and he was actually really compelling every time that you spoke to him. And I hope that that's the Ian O'Neill we get all the way through the season because everyone wants to see him like that. Yeah. And I think it's one of those situations where that Ian O'Neill is almost like the Petrucci that everyone expected to get into World Superbikes or into Moto America. And for Ian One, that was definitely not what the script had written. So I think he's going to be one rider that when he's got his good days, he's going to challenge. He's, I think he's certainly capable of winning races this year. Philip Island showed that. And then it's just up to him to build on it. But I think that it was a really good start. He's third in the World Championship after his first weekend in World Superbikes. And probably more interesting than anything else is what MotoGP riders sat up and took notice of Ian O'Neill this weekend and who wants to come to World Superbikes next year because it's a contract year. I think Ian O'Neill's success this year could well be one of those things that motivates quite a few guys to come across as well. I think that this is an opportunity for him to just 
completely rebuild a fan base that already liked him. But you're right. There was a lot of people that were 50% loved him, 50% hated him before. But if he came there with that attitude, I just think that it's going to be impossible not to like him. And for Sam Lowe's also, I thought Sam did a really good job. I mean, he had a big crash and warm up. Um, I was golfing that morning and I just started getting all these text messages. Have you seen the warm up crash? And I'm like, I don't even know what they're talking about. And then somebody sent me Sam's crash and it was like, wow, big one out of the last corner. Overall, though, you know, just talking with him a little bit during the course of the weekend and stuff. And it was like, for me, I just feel like it's so key for these guys each and every weekend. you got to score points. Greg and I talked about it earlier in the podcast about MotoGP this next year. It's going to be so crucial that you score points because there's so many races this year that if you can keep racking up those points, it's going to be key. And I thought I thought what Sam did this weekend was incredible in the sense that kind of threw himself to, to all these guys. He's leaving their 11th in the championship, and part of that is because of uh, – I know he had a, a tough Super Bowl race that he felt like he could have probably done better. Or what, was it race one? It was race one when he had a problem with the front tire on his bike, um, and he went from like basically 6th, 7th place to 13th or whatever it was. Um, but, I mean, I mean, I feel like Sam's got to be leaving there feeling big boost of confidence from him coming from Moto2, same type of thing. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things that if he doesn't lose the time in the pits and he comes away with three top sevens, three top eights, you look at it and actually say, do you know what, for a guy that jumped off the Moto2 bike in Valencia last year, missed the post-Hareth round test, went to Hareth in December and had you know a handful of laps because it was changeable conditions, he's effectively had five days on the bike coming to Friday in Phillip Island, and then Friday was a washout. So you go into your first race with less than half a dozen days on the bike and then you're able to immediately look comfortable on it. I think that was really good. I wasn't too worried about Sam jumping onto a superbike because I thought that having a, a bike that gives him more feedback, a little bit more flex, was going to suit his riding style. Mm. But I think it was one of those things that until he jumps into the middle of the battle, you don't really know. But he looked comfortable fighting it out at the front. I thought like... Race one in particular, he immediately got himself into a scrap. He had the move on Bautista, and he did the mm. same then on Bautista in the Super Bowl race. I think he came yeah. underneath them at turn eight. And all those things come from being a confident rider. And I think he's really enjoyed jumping onto a superbike and having the extra power and all that kind of thing because it should suit his style quite a bit. He's good on the tires. He's working well with his crew. And they're they're going to get faster and faster as he gets more and more confident. Because it's also worth remembering, Bulaga had a lot more time on the bike as a rookie coming into this weekend. He uh, tested last year and the year before in the Superbike. And that time on the bike makes a big difference. Now, Bulaga is also super confident having come in from winning the Supersport World Championship last year. But I think when you look at all the Ducati riders, they've all got something about themselves. I said at the start of this segment, this is a, a why not me year. But when you look at it, Ducati's got six riders that are three world champions, two guys that won Grand Prix. Rinaldi's won nearly half a dozen superbike races. So if you're going to be able to separate yourself from the rest of the Ducati crowd, you're going to be doing well for yourself. Yeah. And I think that they're all going to have weekends where they're going to be the, whether they're the fastest or the second fastest Ducati rider, because whoever's going to be the championship contender from Ducati is going to be strong week in, week out. But all those other guys are going to be able to give themselves chances of being on the podium every week. I think it's really important, though, to make sure that people don't try to compare like an Ian Oni to a a Sam Lowe's because 
you know, you're, you're going from a race bike that's stiffer than a board on Dunlop front tires that are absolutely bowling balls. And this is talking to people that are doing it or, or have done it like Cameron Bobier. And you're going to a street bike. I mean, Ian Oni was off the bike for four and a half years, but uh, he was off of a, a MotoGP bike and he was off of a proper super bike, but he was still doing track days right. on street bikes. So he's got a feel for it versus a Moto2 bike to a super bike. Either direction is a huge jump. So that I think for like Sam Lowe's, you're talking about so much more potential in that softer front tire with a bike that's softer that he hasn't been able to really figure out yet. It's been eight days on a bike total, right? So I think that by mid-season, you're going to see a guy who I think can be running up front consistently because he's just got to – it's just seat time. It's more seat time, more seat time for him, uh, you know, going from that Moto2 bike to a Superbike. Yeah, and uh, Jay, you'll know this as well from chatting to Sam that uh, he was obviously thrilled for Alex to win, but the first thing he said was, that's great. I know I'm better than Alex, so I know I can win here as well. <laughs> so uh, he's yeah. he's got that confidence back now as well. And I think one of the big things for him is Leon Camier coming in as the rider consultant and coach or what, whatever the the role title will be for Camier. I think that really helps him as well because you've got a guy that knows the bike. Camier rode the Barney bike before he retired. He knows the Pirelli tires. He knows the superbike class. And he can be a really good influence on Sam as well because it's easy to look at Camier as one of those riders of a missed opportunity because he didn't win a superbike race. But he's a guy that came in having dominated in BSB. He forced them to change the rules in BSB to bring in the showdown because he won so That's much. Right. Yeah. And then he came in as a, a factory Aprilia rider at the start, teamed up with Max Biaggi as your first teammate. So you can imagine how ridiculous that is for a rookie to come in 100%. with that sort of teammate. Yeah. And then Camier kind of, his career went in rever- in reverse a little bit. He went from arguably the best bike on the grid to the worst bike on the grid. Whenever yeah. you look at his career arc going from the Aprilia to the Suzuki to a CRT MotoGP bike as a replacement rider for Nicky at one stage, and then on to the MV Augusta, which he turned into a pretty competitive package. And then the Honda at the end of his career before, like his shoulder was just really struggling by the time he got onto the Barney bike. But he's a guy that can really accelerate that learning process for Sam. And I think that's one of the things that's going to be exciting for for how that team develops. Because I think for me, it's easy to look at it and just see the rider. But I think to see a team come in like Mark VDS that have won MotoGP races, they've raced in all three Grand Prix classes, they're racing Moto E, and they decided we want to put our resources into a superbike program. I think that shows you that they're a team that values the championship, and that can only be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I just think that you're in for a great year. I think that World Superbike is going to be fun to watch. Uh, I enjoyed you guys' call as usual. And, um, you know, thanks for thanks again. I know you're jet lag, dealing with a dog and everything else. But uh, it's always good having you on with us, Stevie. Yeah, baby's gone a little bit quiet now. I think she was yeah. worried you were going to ask questions about Honda as well, but we've parked Honda. Completely. I forgot yeah. about Honda. We we're going to only be a good this, thing. Yeah, was Honda there? Let, let Honda get a couple more race weekends <laughs> under their belt before. Yeah, they've before had five years of it at this stage. Uh, yeah, yeah, they've had it. They, yeah, it, it's, it, it's actually an one. interesting one with Honda because for so many people in the paddock, Honda are now irrelevant, and it's a crazy situation to be in. But until they manage to start turning their results around, all the interesting stories are elsewhere. And Honda's flying onto the radar because they're just they they aren't compelling right now whenever there's so many other stories that are really interesting in superbikes. 
Lekwona, fair enough. He has a big high side. He's out for the weekend. Would he have been that much better than Javi Vieira at the weekend? No. So Honda are just where they're at. And uh, I think it's going to be really, really key to see how they manage to pull anything together going forward. But there's very little reason for optimism when you look at Honda because Heret, Portimao, and now Phillip Island, they've had three te- well, three places for testing or the opening race of the weekend. And the bike hasn't worked well in any of those circuits. So I think it's going to be a lo- another long year for Honda. Jack Miller, Jack, Jack Miller to factory Honda 2025. Oh my gosh. I, I think that, do you know what? Like, cause obviously the Furman Aldeguer story has come out today yeah. that uh, it looks like he's going to be signing for Pramac for next year. Yeah. That's obviously been something that's been talked about for a long time. The other thing that's been talked about for a long time is what happens for the rest of the MotoGP grid. Miller could very easily end up in world superbikes next year because Acosta in all likelihood to be elevated up beside Brad Binder. Miller's got a young kid. And does he still want to do 20 weeks away in Europe or right. around the world or whatever? Like at the end of the day, if you're doing the MotoGP championship, you're probably spending 30 weeks on the road each year. You've yep. got a young kid. Miller loves being in Australia. He loves riding his bikes. So maybe the Superbike championship is a little bit more appealing to him. And it's more actually one of those things that's quite interesting. When you look at the calendar we have this year, everyone wants to make fun of it because we've now got a month off before Catalonia, a month off before Assen and then five weeks off before Mizano, and then all the season is basically condensed into July, August, and September. If you're a guy like Jack Miller that wants to be at home and wants to be with his family, you can be in Australia for most of the year if you're in the Superbike class, and you come back to Andorra to do the summer, and then you race here. I I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest to see Miller in World Superbikes next year, but he won't be the factory Honda rider. He'll be a factory Ducati rider, or he'll be on a much more competitive bike. I think one of the other things that's interesting is what happens for someone like Maverick Vinales even, because Vinales super talented. Is he ever going to turn it around at MotoGP and actually live up to the billing of the talent level he has at the end of the day, he's now that last chance saloon with Aprilia. He needs to really deliver. So he needs to deliver in the first five or six rounds of the year. Maybe he's another guy that ends up looking at it and ending up in superbikes as well. Now, it sounds far-fetched to see riders like a Vinales coming there. But if you think about it in the past few years, Alex Rins, Paul, quite a few riders that were always, I'll never go to superbikes, have had their kids and have contacted superbike teams because the calendar works against them or they want to just have the chance to win. And That's I think whenever right. they see Andre Inone come in after four and a half years, and do what he did this weekend, how can they not think, I could do that? I'm more race fit, I'm faster, I'm younger, I'm this, that, and the other. I want, I want me some of that. Yeah. And I think that's what's interesting for us now in Superbikes, because so many riders can come in from MotoGP and think, I can win races again, whereas in GP, they can't think that. And they can get themselves into a really good battle where you can overtake, where you can show what you can do rather than what the bike can do. So I think that that's one of those things that, Superbikes will never have the the value of MotoGP. MotoGP is the premier class for a reason, but it's getting more and more appealing to a bigger base, certainly because of the riders that are coming across and what we're seeing on track. Because if you think back to Jerez last year, top racket against Bautista, if you're a real racer, how do you not want to get into a fight like that? And that's yeah. where I think that the rider market for next year could be quite interesting. 
Well, we'll see right, in a good place. And uh, talking, yeah, Stevie, talking. thanks Steve. again for being on here. Greg, shut, shut up. up. Nobody cares shut about up, you anyways. Steve. Um, yeah, I'm, anyways. All right, let's, let's, so what you don't know is that Moto America Live Plus app, there's a whole new thing and included in the new app that's coming out with a new service for video on demand and all that stuff is, is betting in there. So there's, there will be Moto America betting. So there's betting? That, yeah. So on that line, Steve, <laughs> give us the over and under, give us the line on how many different race winners we're going to have in World Superbike this year. Do you know what, right? You, you look at it and you think <laughs> there could be a dozen guys win races, but obviously there won't be a dozen guys that win races. But I'll set the market at six and a half different winners. Oh, I was thinking six and a half, Stevie. Yeah. Because I was thinking do, six do you and think a half. With it is, you're going to have some guys go out and win twice in a weekend. You're going to have... You know, I, I, I could easily see it where we have eight or nine different winners. Oh, we've already had two, haven't we? We've had two so far. Yeah. And we're going to have Bautista, Top Rack, Johnny. Then it's about whether or not Locatelli can win a race. Ian O'Neill can win a race. You know, Van der Mark's won races in the past, even on the BMW. So you could easily have it where we've got lots of guys that challenge for race wins. But, but how many times in every mm-hmm. championship do we think, oh, we could have a dozen guys that win races and five guys win races for the season? So I'm going to say six and a half. All right, I Jay, love that. Six and half the line, and, the, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna be wrong on it as well. But that's the whole point. You want to get people people taking the bet on. It is a great line, and you've got to look at it like you've got two guys that have already Seemed won a lot about this stuff, Jay. Well, there's two guys that have won that you would have said going into the weekend you'd have given Bulaga probably a chance. Alex, you wouldn't have. So when you look at it, uh, six and a half, I think that's uh, a good number. I'd have to so, really sit down and think over about the it. Under over the under, Jay. Um, I'd be taking the over. I, I would be going over myself. And the reason why I'd be going over is because you might have that one or two odd rain race where somebody that maybe you wouldn't be considering as a winner could jump up there and win like a Petrucci. Like you said, Greg, Sam could Sam win a, a race this week, uh, this year. Ian Noni, like, so you'd have to take the over on the six and a half. It would be funny if you opened up the line to see how that line would move as far as the betting. How many different riders won last year? Four? Four. Rinaldi yeah. was the other winner last year. Mm-hmm. And he's capable. I mean, that bike looks like it's it's capable. So But but again, he's capable. But but he still has to beat another five oh, yeah. riders yeah. that are all capable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no, the, you know, I, I get it. I get it. I just feel like I think the number would go over only based off of the Six fact that you get some line. crazy, funny, weird races in there. And I mean, Stevie, we're we're looking at the Daytona two hundred here with Moto America in a week and a half. And like there's 16 guys that you could look on there. I looked at the gray. I, Greg did a highlighted list for me that showed uh, uh, people and things. And um, and Greg, I, I thought the highlighted. I, I couldn't believe it when I started to see all the highlighted marks. I'm like, wow, there's there's 16 or 17 guys, and there's so many things that could happen in that race with pit mm-hmm. stops and red flags and whatever the cases might be. But there are literally 16, 17 guys that if the pieces fall in the right place for them. Um, well, that's it. The you know, first thing that's what we might see. We might see a group of, of 20 16 riders. You have 20 riders. And then yeah. and once you get to the pit stops, it'll separate them. But because if you, if you're second off the pace at Daytona and you're second off the pace and there's six guys in front of you, you can draft with them. If there's 20 guys, you could be two seconds off the pace at Daytona and stay in that lead draft pretty easily. Mm-hmm. And so I think like, like to Greg's point, the, the first pit stop going there will be crazy, but 
Steve, thanks as always for joining us and giving us insight on World Superbike. It's so fun just getting your knowledge of uh, what you see and what you can see happening. I'm pumped because I'm going to be at the next round. I'll be there at Catalonia with you. So um, ah, you got to be at my old stomping grounds, huh? Your old, yeah, Greg's old stomping grounds. He's, yeah, that's. Do they have donut stores there? Is that did they have donut places at Catalonia? No spa. They actually had. They actually they, they do have a big donut place recently. Right. There you oh, go. Yeah. yeah. Dots, dots in the airport. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't know why they have it now, Greg, but it's been there for the last wee while. Yeah. Well, I'm going, I'm coming over. I, I'm, I'm getting over there, I think on the Saturday. So I'll be watching it on the plane, but I'll be there for Sunday's races and hanging out with you guys a bit, but I'm looking forward to it. I think world Superbike's is going to be a lot of fun and we'll make sure to get you back on. If you'll come back with us again this year, we'll make sure to get you back on with us. Oh yeah. It's never any stress to come on. Even whenever I'm jet lagged like this, it's it's yeah, you, gotten me got me through this last couple of hours. That's not you, so bad. You've been getting the check. Greg's been sending the checks to you, right? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, no, perfect. well, actually, yeah, in fairness, yeah. he he has sent me a Moto America Live Plus <laughs> login the last couple of years, I'm and that's been my payment. I'm so going I need through to a tunnel. I'm losing, I'm losing signal right now. I'm going through a tunnel. Can you guys hear me? Can you hear me? Uh, All right, funny. All right, well, Steve, anyways, thanks a lot, man. We appreciate thanks, the insight. It's always great having you, and I know you've been looking forward to this, but. Good luck sleeping tonight. I know you're going to enjoy it. Yeah, I look forward to the first 20 minutes of it, and then I'll just be wide awake again. And that's just <laughs> the beauty of uh, flying back from Australia. All right. Well, thanks, Steve, for that. We appreciate it. And before we get going any further, Jay, let's just touch on MotoGP Fantasy. All right. So we're, yeah. we're doing we're doing MotoGP Fantasy again. If you go to www.fantasy.motogp.com, right? Is that the website? They they did it again, by the way. Like they moved the gaming tab so you can hardly find it and all that kind of stuff. So I think uh it's what is it? It's MotoGP.com. And then you gotta go up to like the little thing on the side and go to Game Hub. Then you gotta click on your fantasy team. So it's fantasy, not ww. Just go fantasy.motogp.com. Fantasy.motogp.com. That's gonna be your best way to get there. We have Greg's Garage Pod with Jason Pridmore. Okay, we're like W slash whatever. I think if you just do Greg's, like with the apostrophe S Garage, you'll be able to search for it and find it. But the name of the league is going to be Greg's Garage Pod with Jason Pridmore. See how he gets his last name in there, folks, and I don't. That's yeah. Because I'm a giving, giving human. You're very being. sweet. Yeah, that's me. But we're going to have prizes. Okay, so you know it'll be you'll get a rye helmet for the winner. We're going to have Dunlop tires and some other stuff coming up. So make sure you join our league. It's, it's going to be a long, a long season. All right. But the winner at the end is going to have something. So make sure you get signed up and, you know, come up with those creative names. <laughs> yeah. I hate they're to say that good, and encourage people, names. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but that's pretty good though. Yeah. I'm going right. to have to figure this all out too. Cause yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. You just got to do your normal thing. You should already be signed up. You have your username, your password, everything else. All you got to do is just join our league. That's it. And uh, they'll be in, in the description. I'll put like the link or the code for the deal. I don't think the code's ever worked, but like if you search the code, I don't know how the code works, but the best thing to do is just go to go to leagues and search Greg's with apostrophe S pot Greg's garage. And it, it should come up straight away. All right. Yep. I'm looking at it. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, were you doing right. that? Let's talk about Supercross. It happened. Let's over do the it. Weekend, yeah. Do it. And it was in Texas. We mentioned it before. And it, it was it was good. I mean, you know, it was good, it was, yeah. Cooper Webb ends up winning the race. Yeah, 
Eli Tomac kind of crashed. He picked the bike up and he made a charge to the field, worked himself all the way up to second. Aaron Plessinger, Aaron Plessinger was was solid as ever. He got passed late by Tomac in third. Jet Lawrence, who was right there on Cooper Webb's Heine, he ends up tipping off. He picked it up and finished fourth. Thanks a lot, Jet, in my fantasy. He killed me. Killed me in fantasy. Uh, his brother Hunter had a solid, solid day. He finishes fifth. Chase Sexton sixth. Justin Cooper in seventh. Kenny Roxon in eighth. Kenny, kickstart Kenny, killing me. Malcolm Stewart in ninth. Jason Anderson. Vince Freeze, who was involved in a couple of tight left corner incidents during that race. Uh, for the points, Jay, Jet Lawrence is leading 135 to 132. Now Webb is in second place. Plessinger 128 back, one point back is Chase Sexton. So Lawrence Webb and Plessinger are the top three in that points battle. Any takeaways from Supercross that you want to, anything of note? It just seems that since, it seems to me that since the Anderson Jet thing kind of went down, like it's kind of shook Jet up. I mean, he was untouchable, unbeatable last year in that World Supercross stuff. And uh, at the end of the year and he comes out of Anaheim and wins right off the bat. And I'm sitting there and literally I was already handing it to him. And, and it just kind of goes to show in this race, Greg, I had jet to win and I had Tomac to finish third. So with like a lap and a half to go, I was, I was laughing. I'm like, well, jet's going to win. Tomac's going to finish third. I'm styling. Next thing you know, he crashes. Right. And then he gets back up and still had a chance to win. And then kind of got freezied on the last lap because he was trying to bonsai through the whoops next to Cooper and um, Cooper Webb and Freezy was kind of parked on the inside of the track and he ended up running into him crashing again. And it, it took him off the podium, which is just insane, right? So, I mean, it's just a handful of points again that he's just given away. And um, But what's funny is he's he's not getting out in front and pulling away by seven and eight seconds. Cooper Webb kept him honest it, Cooper Webb is such a it's it's strange to me. I mean, he qualified like ninth or something again. It was way back, but he is the grinder of grinders, and he will happily pick up any of the pieces that people drop. Do you remember? Um, did you watch the telecast at all? Did you get to watch it? No, I was on the air. They went back and they showed when. Remember when Cooper Webb kind of had Roxon's number? Like, didn't matter if Roxon was leading and Webb was coming. I think it was like two two years ago or three years ago. Yeah, he's just always there. He's always there. And Tomac was on fire. Like Tomac at one point was like one and a half, two seconds quicker than, than jet at the front. Like he was, he was coming through the pack and ended up not that far behind. And he made a comment. It's the first time I've ever seen him almost (laughs) a little bit fired up on the podium about like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put, make a real push for the second half of the season here. And don't forget they're headed to Daytona this week. Supercross goes to Daytona this week. So yeah, um, yeah. Tomac, you know, Tomac, he, he, Tomac he, saying, "Hey, look, I'm tired of being called, called the old guy." Yeah, uh, and yeah, Ricky right off the bat goes, "Well, I never called him the old guy." I, I know, I heard that. I was, that. Like, I was, I was like, like, "I don't think he's talking about you, Ricky." Relax. Well, you never know. Like maybe Ricky said something in the paddock. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I never said it on air. But anyways, it doesn't matter. But I think the big story of the night for me when I watched that race was the 450 was good, but you got to spare a thought for Austin Fork oh, and the 250 God, stuff. Dude. I mean, just. I mean, I've gone, we've gone in waves with this guy watching him when he was kind of came along the start, he was pretty cocky and brash and he'd win and then he'd get hurt. This poor kid has been hurt so much, so many times. And when you watch the telecast and you see that accident, if he was in a full blown 
airbag, Daneasy, whatever suit, that crash would have like still hurt a lot. And he's not in anything close to that. I guess the big question to me, and it's one that we've asked before, I have anyways, about why is there concrete out there? Like, could they not spare a little bit more dirt or put something out there for these guys that, because we've already seen Cooper Webb land on his back a couple years ago and take him out of the series um, for the last half of the year or whatever it was when he landed flat on his back. Do you remember that one? I do. On the concrete? I, I Listen, with, without trying to make excuses for people, I think if you really think about the big picture and how much dirt it would take to, to make any type of padding to that concrete, yeah, it, you'd have to lift, you'd have to add it to the entire track, I would think. Like, I think the cost would be pretty outrageous, but... well. I'm I'm just saying, like like you know, for it, I'm sure that that's part of the reason why they don't do it. The fact that how much time it takes to get in, how much times it takes kids, you know, as soon as that race is done, that crew starts to break all that dirt down and move it out of there. You got to remember though, it it's not around all of the edges of the place. I mean, there are places where it does, um, where where they have tough blocks, have whatever. In that particular case, when you have such a gigantic bit of cement exposed to where somebody could land on it for me i'm like man we got to fix that and i'm sure it will i'm sure that there are going to be things in place or put into place now where people are going to be like we've got to fix this and make this to where you know got to protect your riders you have to protect your rider they're your asset they're your stars of the sport you got to protect them and this season has been you know i hate to say it i want to knock on wood but the only thing i have is my head Injuries have been unusually low to this well, point in the season. They have been. Christian Craig, I know, was out at the last round. And I am Evan Ferry, I think, was out at the last round in the 250 class. Um, but the, like the promoters or the you know, they fell building the racetracks, they've taken a little bit of heat because the tracks are too fast or they're too safe or they're not too safe, but they're too easy. But they're the harder you make them, like I found out through a, a couple friends that specifically um, I can't remember what you call them, Greg, but they're like the, like the camelback things where you're, they've taken those out of supercross. Yeah. So and, they're like bigger than whoops, right? They're bigger. Yeah, they're like whoops they're going like whoops up a hill, bigger up yeah. a hill. You launch off the top of them. And um, so they've, they've actually removed a couple obstacles that they've had in the past just by probably looking at the data and seeing where guys are getting hurt the most. It's a real shame to see a kid literally land on concrete the way he did and look it would have hurt if he was on dirt greg like let's not sugarcoat it it was a big crash it was a big hit no matter what but it just seems completely unreasonable that these guys are crashing coming from the heights that they jump and crashing onto concrete like the way his body did that was awful but your boy won danger zone hayden deegan he's not my boy whatever so but, he wins uh, over McAdoo, Viali. And so, like, the points for the East, I think it's the East, right? Yeah, 250 East. Max Ansi leads 38 over Pierce Brown, 34. Yep. Crazy, right? It's That whole series is a little on its head right now. So, yeah, yep. let's see how that see how that goes. Mm-hmm. All right. So that is Supercross. Let's get into fantasy a little bit, Jay. I slid again in the Greg's Garage pod. With Jason Pridmore, I'm now down to 11th, and guess who's ahead of me? Oh, Simon, he's one oh, ahead of me. Is he? Yeah, he yeah. was. He was laughing because he told I had dinner with him last night, and he said that he uh, he said that he was out on his boat fishing, and he got the alert, and he couldn't get the, 
couldn't get his picks in, so he had to go with the week before. They, they rolled over and he beat me. Son of yeah. a bitch. <laughs> yeah. But leading the way is Big Boar Short Stroke. Big Boar Short Stroke. Very Big nice. Fan. Mm-hmm. Good for you, Tuna Can. I like it. Is it Thomas Mack? Something maybe. So leading the way, 311 points uh, total. But, dude, Big Boar Short Stroke went 295th in the in the nation, in the world. Wow. The picks were good. so good. And But here's the thing. You know, with a possible 127 points available, he went 74 points. So it wasn't like everybody really picked picked huge this weekend. Yeah. Uh, Moto Dog 650 is now in second place. CW or C Win is in uh, third place. Wicked Masshole. Wicked Masshole up to P4. Digging that. You love that. Yeah. So I love it. Let's see. Where's JP? I'm scrolling. I'm stinking. I'm like, I'm scrolling. I'm, easy. I'm scrolling. <laughs> I'm I've scrolling. done fairly well in this in this one over the years. Hey, JP steals Greg's donuts. Twenty fourth. I think I'm like twenty eighth, wasn't I? Or maybe I'm further. No, back. no, I'm forty ninth. Wow. Yeah, wow. Jesus. Like, get a job. Greg's yeah, garage donut bod in thirty eight. Fantastic. Do you still have that bod, or are we going to see a new and improved Greg White at Daytona? No, there's no new and improved. That's too bad. I know. I had high hopes this winter, but. Work. Well, I know you don't have a lot of time on your hands and you don't have a place to work out just in your house. So yeah, I understand. Why don't you shut your face? All right. Mm-hmm. Time's am, I fat, am I fat shaming right now? Am I in trouble? Cause I'm fat shaming. Is that, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. What do I know? Uh, anyway, not much. So yeah. Yeah. So Supercross fantasy is going on. Definitely join us for that. There's prizes there too, but MotoGP fantasy on the horizon well, that'll do it. We got to thank Steve English for joining us. Great insight into World Superbike. And congratulations to Jason's BFF on a couple of big wins. Next week, we're going to be previewing the Daytona 200. We're also going to be previewing MotoGP Qatar. And, of course, Supercross from Daytona will have happened. And we will bring you that information. Anything else, Jason? No, nope. let's have a great week. And, um... I don't know when we're going to do the podcast next week, so we're going to have to figure that out. Cause, when, are you, uh, when are you flying? I fly out Wednesday morning, so I have to do it Tuesday night. Tuesday. I, we'll do it, yeah. I got a golf tournament Monday and Tuesday morning. Oh, so okay. We can do it. We'll do it. We'll get it done Tuesday before we get on the old big bird and fly fly to Florida. Well, and, since uh, we only have Supercross, we could do it Sunday if you're around. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll oh, wait. I don't, out. Get, I don't get back to Sunday until 5 o'clock at night because I'm going somewhere. Yep. All right. We'll figure yep, it out. We'll figure it out. Okay. That's it. Right, Say brother. goodbye, well, Jason. Hey, everybody out there. Have a great week. And, uh, man, we're one week away from leaving for Daytona, and the season's really going to kick off. MotoGP, everything's happening. We'll talk with you soon. Later. Later.